So my name is Jesse. Um, I'm a deacon here. I'm on staff. Uh, and my wife and I, we lead the Southeast Community Group now. We moved. We meet at the home of Jeff and Amanda Rutherford. Um, but yeah, so anticipation is a feeling that we all get at some point or another. Typically, the anticipation is a good or a bad thing depending on what we know is coming. So if we know something good is going to happen, typically we have an excitement or a joyful time of waiting. We probably can't even contain that excitement. Um, if we've done something wrong and we know that, then we may anticipate something bad. If we don't really know what's going to happen, then anticipation is usually very anxiety-inducing. Christmas, at its core, is a time of good anticipation. For thousands of years, it was, there was this anticipation of knowing that eventually God was going to send a Savior into the world. And now, it is a reminder that Jesus did come, and one day, we look forward to the time when he's going to make all things new and right. At this point in the season, literally now, today, we are in time of good anticipation. Christmas is just one week away. We're already to the final mother of Jesus, and I hope you all have enjoyed this series uh, it's amazing to see the way that God has worked just in the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, it's made up of broken people and broken situations. Tamar, who more or less prostituted herself. Ruth, who was a racial outcast. And the wife of Uriah or Bathsheba, who conceived a kid out of adultery and an associated murder. It's not the most stunning genealogy, or as we've talked about it's not such a great resume. It's been amazing to look retrospectively how God has moved throughout all of this history and he's brought it together to bring his son Jesus into the world. So now we get to the literal mother of Jesus, Mary, the one that the messianic anticipation ends with. So we're just going to dig right in. We're going to be reading from Luke 1, 26 through 45. That can be found on page 855 of the uh, the black ESV Bibles that are in your rows. If you don't have a Bible, then out now right here, there's a bookshelf, um, and we have Bibles there. So if you don't have one, just feel free as you leave to grab that. Um, and that's just our gift to you. Hope you can dig in and learn. So if you all will stand with me as we read from God's Word. It says this, In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, just for this day. I thank you for um, getting everybody here safely through uh, the ice and the snow. Um, I just pray that you be with uh, everyone who can't be with us today, um, just pray that you give them safe travels as, they're, uh, as all the students are leaving and um, as people are going to see friends and family. Just pray that as we, as we move through this passage, we just learn um, the significance of what you have done for us in sending Christ to come in the form of a baby uh, and to live for us, die the death we deserve. Um, we just thank you for that, for the ultimate gift that you've given us at this Christmas time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So Christmas time is a distracting one. Uh, throughout the years, our culture has kind of muddied the water, right? It's distorted what the Advent season, what the Christmas season is all about. I think if we step back and we really reflect on it, we have all been affected some way by our culture's idea of Christmas, It has become all about materialism and things, about getting gifts for everyone and being happy and throwing parties. Somehow, it is now acceptable to understand Christmas without any presence of God at all. There's this American meaning of Christmas without God, but there's not a biblical meaning. Christmas is about the most miraculous event in the history of the world. It is about the creator of the universe stepping into his creation to rescue us. In this passage, we're going to walk through just a couple main points in regards to what we see in the story about Mary uh, as she found out about this news. First, we're going to talk uh, about how Jesus entered the world. Next, we're going to talk about who and what really came at Christmas. And then three, we're going to talk about how we're empowered by this in a few practical ways. So first... How did God send his son to the world? What is so amazing about God is the way he works his unlimited power in the most counterintuitive ways. As humans, we tend to think that we're pretty smart. But God loves to fulfill his promises in the most backwards ways imaginable to us. One counterintuitive way is that God operates in a time frame that is very different than ours. As we learned last week, God took a long time to fulfill his promise of bringing the Messiah to the world. All the way back at the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of creation, in Genesis 12, we learned that God told Abraham he was going to bless all of humanity through him. But even before that, in Genesis 3, we learned that he would send one that would crush the head of Satan and defeat evil. As you all know, an amazing thing happened this year. Uh, that had to do with waiting, and I have not had the luxury of being able to talk about it just yet. Uh, So, I'm going to. The Cubs won the World Series. 
right? It may have taken seemingly forever, but eventually it happened. And in a weird way, it came in an unexpected way, right? We were down a few games in the series, and I was all ready. I'm sitting on the ball's couch, and I'm just like, all right, well, there's always next year, right? The famous saying, 2016 may, in retrospect, be a year for many reasons that we kind of want to forget. Us Cubs fans, I'm not so sure, right? I'm going to ride out that World Series for a long time. But in something even more anticipated, taking even more time, something that is infinitely greater than a silly World Series, God in his design followed through on his promise to bring about a Messiah. It took thousands of years, generations and generations. There was even a period of time between the last prophet in the Old Testament and when Jesus actually came, it was 400 years That's four times us Cubs fans would have had to wait. That's crazy. It seemed as if God had forgotten, but as we read in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So it may have taken a long time, but God still fulfilled his promise. His grace rarely operates on our time frames or our schedules or our agendas. So the first thing we see in how God, how Christ came was that it was completely in the timing of God. Next, Jesus came into our world through a virgin birth. We read that Gabriel came to Mary and she was greatly troubled. Imagine this. Mary is just minding her own business and poof, an angel. And he just starts chatting. I'd guess that would be a little troubling. It's not normal. Back in those days, women were not considered to be extremely high in status. In fact, at this time, it was estimated that Mary was most likely no more than 15 years old. She was probably about 13. So this was not just a woman that an angel decides to come to, but a young, young woman. But nonetheless, God decided to use her as the means to bring the Savior of all the world to us. So Gabriel says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now it is important to note here that this favor that uh, Mary has is not because of some special uh, piety or righteousness of her own. The text neither before this or during this account or after says anything special about the worthiness on Mary's part. It was all based on God's sovereign choice, not on her human acceptability. It was all an act of grace from start to finish. So Mary, we read, was betrothed to Joseph. Back in the day, marriage consisted of two stages. There was the betrothment and the marriage itself. So the fact that she was betrothed meant that she was under a formal agreement, formal agreement to be married to Joseph, but she still had not had any sexual relationship with him. She was indeed a virgin. This was God's choice. His way of breaking into our world was through the womb of a virgin. This made the fatherhood of Jesus completely unique. He has a divine father and not a human one. He is the son of God, not the son of Joseph, biologically. He is divine as God's son, but he is human as Mary's son. But remember, Joseph is of the house of David, So this means that legally his son would have been an heir of David, the king of Israel. 
So God did work with Joseph in the fact that God's son was given a legal human father to fulfill his promises. God broke into the world as a Jew to fulfill years of covenant promise. But Mary understandably asked Gabriel, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? Literally, this means, how will this be since I have known no man? Again, imagine what Mary is thinking here. She's had no relations, and now she is meant to have a child, and she is finding out that she's just going to be pregnant. How will this happen? It's important to see that Mary here is not actually doubtful. She is simply seeking to understand. Uh, Early on in chapter 1, we read about the angel telling um, John the Baptist's parents about how the fact that they're going to have a son, and Zechariah, John's father, he doubts. Uh, But Mary doesn't, because we see no account of rebuke like we did for Zechariah. Luke, between the two Annunciation accounts of John the Baptist and Jesus, shows many parallels. But he also shows how ultimately Jesus is the greater one. And we see that in how Mary's approach is full of faith, in that and that God is going to accomplish his purposes through that. So verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So this statement by Gabriel is probably one of the most important statements in writing in all of history. He says that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to come upon you, and in his power that can overcome the impossible, the Most High is going to take the place of a human father, and in his shadow, you will become pregnant with the Son of God. It is mind-blowing and mysterious and miraculous, and wonderful, and beautiful how God chose to enter our world in the form of a human. To us, it seems impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. This is one of those mysteries that uh, we try to understand completely. We want to master it. We want to explain the theological intricacies of it. But our brains just can't wrap around it. God chose to come in an impossible way, He chose to send his son through a young virgin in the legal line of David by the conception of the Holy Spirit in the form of a helpless baby. That's how God chose to bring Jesus into our world. And it's amazing. So that's how, but now we're going to get to the what, or the who and the what, and what this really means for us. Christmas time is a time for gift receiving and giving. Very often, I get get caught up in this and I forget what Christmas is is really about, that it's not about the gifts, but about the capital G gift. So often, I think we think of gifts in our life as a result of doing good. From a young age, we learn at Christmas that if you're good, then Santa's going to come and give you a lot of good things. If you're bad, then you're going to get a lump of coal in your stocking. That mindset seeps into our thinking, and it causes us to lose track of the grace that we've been shown. As a kid, uh, I had this tradition, and I'm not going to either confirm nor deny that I have kept this tradition going, maybe even as early as my last year. Uh, and the tradition is I wake up in the middle of night, 
on Christmas Eve and, slash Christmas morning, and I go and I check to see what gifts I've gotten, right? I'm ready to go clean up. So I get up, and I'm talking like early because I can't wait. And I, at my parents' house, they have these wooden floors, and I know exactly which uh, boards creak. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm creeping around, and I'm like stepping over this, and I'm sliding over here, and I get to my stocking, and I just dump it out, right? I know. I know. I told my parents, don't come today, because... Uh, that's what I do. But then I put it all back in because I don't want to get caught kind of from my spying, right? Then I go to the tree and I find the presents with my name and I give them a shake, maybe two shakes, maybe three, maybe four. And then I head off to bed as sneakily as I came. I literally would get so excited, still do get excited, for things that I wake up and I go check out my loot. As silly as this sounds... I am not sure this is how I have ever approached the ultimate gift at Christmas. The gift of God coming in the humble form of a baby. I get more excited about my material gifts than about the gift. So as we dig into this passage, we see the gift that we're given completely by God's gracious choice. We see who this gift really is and what that means for us. Gabriel in verse 31 says to Mary that she's going to bear a son and is to call his name Jesus. In Luke there is no etymological significance that's made. But over in Matthew, verse 121, we, we learn that she should call his name Jesus. Why? Because he is going to save people from their sins. Jesus, that name, transliterated from Greek, is, it's Iesus, which corresponds to the Hebrew Joshua, meaning Savior. So Jesus is our Savior. Then we see that this Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be great with a greatness that has never been seen before. An unsurpassed greatness. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. That means that he's going to be the Son of God. And he also will be given from the Lord God the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Jesus, the greatest gift ever, came as the Holy Son of God. This is important because in his perfection... From his birth, throughout the rest of his life, he was able to be our savior. He was able to live perfectly, something that we cannot do, that we have not done. And now he sits as king who is one day going to come back. He's going to institute his kingdom forever. And he is going to continue on his reign. That's a gift we can rejoice in. That's the gift that we've been given by grace without any need to perform. If you just accept this and admit that only by Christ can we be reconciled to God, then we never have to fear getting coal in our stocking, if you will. You can't do enough things right to be saved, and you can't do anything too wrong to make God not love you. That's the gift. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what's so easy to forget in this fast-paced, obligation-filled, Christless culture that we live in. And ironically, especially even at Christmas time. But the fact is that we have been given the gift of God's Son. But not only have we been given Him, right? We have been given the transformative truth. What came to us at Christmas time was not just a who, but also a what. Um, let's read verses 38 through 45 real quick and. It says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went to haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, she, and blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary tells Gabriel that she's a servant of the Lord and is ready to accept the fact that she is going to be the mother of the Son of God. What's interesting here, though, is she does not hop right into, um, into the song of praise. She doesn't really understand what's happening. In verse 46, we see uh, the Magnificat. Magnificat? I meant to ask someone, how do you really pronounce that? Uh, but anyways, the Magnificat is what Mary launches off to in praise of God when she really understands what is happening through her. Mary leaves her home, goes to Judah, greets her relative Elizabeth, and upon this arrival we read that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps. So even in the womb, John the Baptist is exclaiming and preparing the way for Jesus. He is leaping in his Messiah's presence. Then we learn that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, not of her own doing, an act of God. Elizabeth and the baby John are filled with the Spirit and understand the significance of the baby that Mary is carrying. So Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of her Lord. That is, Elizabeth is claiming the child that is in Mary's womb is on the same level as God, as Yahweh, God the Father. Elizabeth is showing us she understands after the revelation from the Spirit that the child in Mary's womb is just as holy, just as holy as the Lord that she worships in heaven. We actually get a pretty good picture here of the Trinity, right? This is a massively important doctrine in our faith. The idea that one God can exist as three distinct persons but still be one. There's the realization that God the Father and the baby in Mary's womb are the same, but they are, they are equal in, excuse me, they are different, but they are equal in their divinity. But we also read that the Holy Spirit is at work. Three persons, one God. Another, another mystery that is just as mind-boggling as the incarnation. So Elizabeth is showing us that if we believe in Christmas, that God came to the world as a man, both fully God and fully human, we have to believe a claim unlike any other. I like the way that uh, Tim, Keller, Tim Keller puts it. He says, quote, What Elizabeth is telling us, what the text is telling us, is that Christmas Day, the infinite became finite. The immortal became mortal. The omnipotent became impotent. Because the creator of the universe became a single cell, the weakest and smallest version of life in the universe. The ideal became real. The supernatural became natural. Metaphysical, physical. Invulnerable, vulnerable. The unassailable, holy, became something you could hug. The impossible became possible. Nothing less than that. The thing that came to us at Christmas was not just simply a who, but also a what. So Elizabeth is telling Mary that if she believes that, was, that what was spoken, not just as some kind of symbol or metaphor, but really believes that there would be a fulfillment of what Gabriel told her, then she would be blessed. Not blessed in the sense that we think of blessing today, right? Like material things, comfort, hashtag blessed, all that stuff. 
The, the blessed here is referring to the blessing of God, true shalom, the way that God intends things to be. That's what shalom means. To be utterly transformed. What Elizabeth was telling Mary and what Luke is writing to us is if you, do you really believe what happened really happened? That's what they're asking. Do you believe that Jesus really came to the earth as a baby, lived the life you can't live, died the death you deserve because of your rebellion against God? If you do believe that and take that to the core of your being, then you can actually be truly blessed. You are transformed. You can become a whole new self through what Jesus accomplished. So we didn't just get him, we got the transformative truth that came through him that actually is him. So for the remainder of the time, I want to get into some of the practical realities that this transformation can give you. Um, Some of the practical realities we get in the best Christmas gift or package ever. Now, I believe that there are a numerous amount of blessings uh, and aspects of transformation that come from putting your your trust in Christ. But I'm just going to focus on a couple, a couple that I think are applicable Um, If you believe in what Christmas claims, then you can have the resources to be transparent in community, and you can really love as Jesus loved. So first, transparency in community. Uh, Transparency and vulnerability are not things that I would consider staples of character in our culture. We're taught to be tough. Able to get things done in our own power, but the reality is, is we need others. We need one another. God designed us this way. Look at Mary in this account, right? She was led into community after her interaction with Gabriel, and it took that interaction with Elizabeth to even start praising, like really praising. The reality is if you've been saved by Jesus, you have been saved into a community, a body of believers, and you are not just a singular entity that's saved alone. To really grow as a community, we also have to be transparent and vulnerable. Because of Christ, we can now do this. Because of Christ, we can help one another. Now we can be honest about our struggles and our pains and our suffering. We can be vulnerable. Why? Because God became breakable. Literally, he became someone that we could hurt, a baby. He did that to bring us back to him. It's amazing. Christianity is the only religion that claims this about God. Christmas time in reality is not just all holly jolly. And I'm, I'm kind of an elf, to be honest. Uh, ask my wife. I'm, I'm putting the tree up the day after Thanksgiving, if I can't before, uh, and I'm taking it down in February. But I really love it. But if I'm being honest, it's a time where we do remember past hurts and pains, familial losses, We have a unique community that can be open and vulnerable, bear burdens, care for one another, and be open. We we can let down our defenses in these relationships. Why? Because we don't have to be proud anymore. We don't have to uphold any honor. We don't have to be strong. Why? Because Jesus did it all for you. Look at how loved you are and how affirmed we are. If you believe in what Christmas means, you are so blessed that you can move into relationships even when it hurts and it's uncomfortable. You can let down those barriers that you put up in your head to keep people out. 
We crave that as humans. We need community. We want it. We really do. But what's even more amazing about God becoming man is that we are saved into a community of people that are not just like us, right? But that is very diverse, and we're able to love those who are not like us. There's something interesting about the incarnation narrative and the resurrection narrative, uh, the, the annunciation of Christ's birth, the actual birth, his death and resurrection. They are centered around women, very women-centric. Now, this isn't odd to us now, but like I mentioned earlier, back in the day, that would have been a weird thing. In the culture, they didn't have any status. In many instances, they were seen as very uh, lowly. They weren't considered trustworthy. Their testimonies in court were not considered admissible evidence. So we can sit around and kind of just think, well, sure is nice to be past all that, isn't it? And yes, it is good that we're past that. And we should be glad about that. But what's important to notice here is that God works purposefully with people who the world pushes to the side. Christmas should be the end of being snobby, of thinking that we're ever better or above somebody else. The truth is, deep in our hearts, we do despise someone a little bit, right? Like, you might not be a racist, but I bet you hate those racists, right? I bet you, if you're an IU fan, well, we're not even going to get into that. We like, you know... IU basketball, table it. You know in your brains that there are those people in the world and they are the reason why we have problems. What would we have thought about Jesus' family? I like the illustration that Martin Luther uses, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he says this essentially, do you know what a stable smells like? Do you understand what that family would have smelled like after that birth? If they were standing next to you, how would you have felt about them? What would your thoughts be about them? If you haven't, I recommend going to a stable at some point. Uh, my uncle trains horses, and uh, he has a place where they stay, and I'm telling you what, I cannot imagine a birth in there. A stable that already smells of manure and animals. I'm scared at when I ponder those questions personally because I'm not sure how I would have reacted. We have to see Christ in the neighbor we tend to not like or the political party we disagree with or in the socioeconomic classes that we just can't understand, or ethnicities that we stereotype. Salvation comes to those who are willing to admit that they're nobody apart from Jesus. Those who admit their weakness when it comes to measuring up to the standard of holiness that we need to have to be in the presence of God. We are all on an equal playing field in front of the throne of God. Christmas told us that we could never get to heaven. Heaven literally had to come to us. This should drive us to love humbly as Christ did. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about humility. Only the humble believe him and rejoice that God is so free, so marvelous, that he does wonders where people despair, that he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And that is the wonder of all wonders, that God loves the lowly, He's not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. He marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. Through what Jesus did in the first Christmas, when he put on flesh and he became a baby, becoming lowly and near to us broken humans, 
He gave us the resource to destroy this thinking of ever despising one another. We can truly and humbly love those not like us. And I'm telling you what, God is working in the places that seem marginalized and despised and hidden in this world. And we are all called to be on mission to those places and show the love of Christ to all people, especially to our brothers and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ here, but then to all of our neighbors in the world around us. God worked through years of broken people and their history to bring about the redemption of the world. Through all these mothers of Jesus, and then eventually to Mary, the young, unwed teenager. See this narrative as we enter here in a week to this Christmas holiday. Don't get caught up in all that the culture wants us to get caught up in. The most important thing is that God became flesh to break down the walls of hostility, to live the perfect life that you couldn't, die the death you deserve. If you believe, as we've seen in verse 45, that God really did this, you can be transformed. I plead with you, as we move into the Christmas time, to see what this holiday is really about. It's about the fact that God loved the world so much, he sent his only son to come for you, to be reconciled to him. And if you believe in him, you can have true joy, you can live for his glory, and we can worship him forever. So we're going to move now into our time of communion. Uh, this is a time where, where we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. It's a meal that uh, we participate in, and it's for those who have accepted Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then take this time to accept him as Lord. If you want to know more about what he did for you, um, or you need someone to pray with, we're going to have some pastors and prayer responders just on this side of the curtain here. Um, They would love to do that. Here at Redeemer, what we do is we tear off a piece of bread and we dip it into the cup. We have both juice and wine to take as your conscience leads. Um, We don't have any stations up top. I'm sorry for everyone in the balcony if you just want to run down. Um, But yeah, we have a a station back here and then we'll have two up here and a gluten-free option. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for what you've done by sending Christ in the form of a baby to live for us and to die for us so we could be reconciled to you. I thank you for doing that beautifully through the narrative of all these mothers of Jesus. I thank you uh, for how you continue to work. And we just, we wait the day when you come back and make it all new again. We love you so much for, um, for what you're doing here in Bloomington. Just pray that as we, as we go from here, we would be mobilized on mission Uh, for your glory. And I just pray that as we move into this Christmas season, we would remember truly that what we're celebrating is not blessings of material things and friends and family, but what we're celebrating is your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.